HVAC 360 is brought to you today by The Bling Corporation. Tired of your artistic ductwork design being hidden behind plain white ceiling tiles? Wish your exposed ductwork could be something other than round or flat ovals painted a matte black finish? Wait no longer. From the geniuses who brought you the bedazzler comes Glamour Ducks. Whether in tie-dye or rhinestone encrusted, or outfitted with cool LED blacklights, your design will never look more amazing. Clients won't stop talking about them as you take the spotlight away from those ego-driven architects. Some say high fashion and environmental comfort distribution have just had a love child. Its name, Glamour Ducks. Brought to you by the Bling Corporation. Welcome back, Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Each week, I'm either sharing lessons learned from the field or talking with industry experts. Uh, this happens to be neither one of those. I'm just going off a different topic suggested by a listener. This is for dedicated outside air systems. Uh, but I don't stop there. I want to encourage you to go down over to HVAC360.com and sign up for my growing mailing list of a, it's a community of people just like you um, as an added bonus I know I've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks but I'm going to start a free webinar series launching in early 2019 now there's only 100 spots available and they're going to go first come first serve and for those people who are on the list those people are going to have the first opportunity to sign up all right so what's up for this week? This week I kind of spilled the beans already we're talking about dedicated outside air systems also known by their street name Doaz all right, so why DOAS in the first place? Um, before we get to those kind of rationalizations, let's kind of work up to it a little bit first. Um, say if you had a space, you could have a constant volume heating and cooling rooftop. Uh, this is similar to what you might have at home, and you have really no outside air. Now, in a commercial sense, that wouldn't, make, that wouldn't meet code, but you could technically do it. And you'd have a heating coil, you'd have a cooling coil, and those would handle the sensible, uh, the dry bulb kind of temperatures that you're looking at. Uh, but you'd have to do something about the latent uh, heat, and that's the, uh, the humidity in the space. Now, the humidity is really controlled by a, the cooling coil. That's really the way that you handle it in these type of situations. But realize that the humidity is only taken care of when the coil is energized. Um, that's because the coil gets cool enough to be able to condense the humidity out of the air and to, to wring it out. As people, we are just kind of constantly spewing humidity into the air. Uh, and not only that, but you get humidity driving in from the outside uh, conditions parts of the year. So now that is a very simple system, but what if you wanted to take um, advantage of some of the more temperate times of the year, uh, just like you'd open up a window in your house, you want some way to you know, get that free cooling so you don't have to run your uh, DX coils uh, or your heating coils so much. And they do that in air handling units by adding an economizer section. So the economizer is a way to introduce outside air uh, and relieve the return air um, so you don't have to condi uh, condition it, just like we were talking about. Uh, this free cooling is really kind of an enthalpy trade-off. Now, 
what is enthalpy? That's throwing it off. You think about enthalpy as work. So would it be harder for the unit to take the return air, condition it, and then discharge it at, say, 55 degrees and, um, you know, whatever humidity? Or would it be easier to take the outside air and put it through the unit and discharge that at 55 degrees? What would be uh, more economical? And based on certain algorithms and the temperatures, they can do a rough calculation and determine which would be more efficient. And if it's more efficient to use the outside air, then it would economize at 100%. So that is... Um, that is kind of how it's it's really decided at the unit. Now, in the United States here, there's areas of the country, um, a lot of warm and moist areas, that don't, economizers don't make much sense. You don't get a lot of those times when you can take advantage of those outside air conditions without, you know, the enthalpy really never, uh, it's that's, that's never a choice. When it compares the two, outside air versus return air, it always gravitates towards the return air so the economizers in certain some certain areas you'll ne you'll never really see them up on the rooftop now that is just from a pure energy standpoint now when we talk about ASHRAE 62.1 that's the ventilation standard remember now we have to account for some sort of minimum outside air we're talking about indoor air quality uh, we have to have a minimum amount of outside air for each occupant. Now, when we're talking about a building, that amount is different for different spaces. You know, the problem is you can't really direct the outside air to go in one space versus another, and we know they're not all equal. But the amount of outside air that we're taking in at the unit is a percentage of the total airflow for the unit. So, that sometimes, when you deliver that to a space, you're taking spaces that are under-occupied and you're over-ventilating them. Or you're taking spaces that might be heavily occupied and you're under-ventilating them. So you really don't have that option of telling the uh, outside air where to go. Uh, you know, I had a uh, um, one of the sponsors in one of previous podcasts was duct air, uh, the Duct Arrows. You really can't put the duct arrows in the ductwork and tell the uh, airflow or the outside air where to go. It just doesn't work like that. So, and, I mean, to address this, um, instead of doing anything crazy, the next kind of step in the evolution um, when we're trying to ventilate with a standard system is to put in some sort of demand control ventilation. Now, this monitors the CO2, so it knows when spaces are being underventilated and overventilated, and it really works with a unit there to make sure that the CO2 levels are appropriate. Now, what DOAS does is something special. It's, it's a way to decouple the system um, and separate that out and so you'd have a comfort cooling component and you'd have a ventilation component. And they wouldn't be together in one air handling unit. You'd have one side that um, you know, would, would account for, for, for all the outside air and tr treat the outside air. Uh, typically when you have air handling, air handling units, you always have issues for accounting for that latent cooling, that humidity, because typically you're going to select, uh, you're going to first select a unit based on the sensible. Um, then you're going to go check and make sure that it has enough latent capacity in the coils to handle a building. Um, but that's not the case for DOAS. 
Um, you know, I always find it interesting to hear owners talk about humidity levels and humidity control. They think that just because they have air conditioning that they have uh, humidity control. And with a traditional HVAC unit, it's purely passive. Um, you know, like I said before, it's only when the coil is on and it's nice and cold and wringing out moisture. Um, you know, and that's that's a big component. If if especially if you you can have uh, something a little bit different, and that's with DX coils. Um, you could have a chilled water coil and have it be more consistently dehumidifying. There's some certain spaces, and that's the advantage of having a chilled water coil versus a DX. Um, you're going to have places like a um, a hospital that would be using uh, chilled water. And they would use this because they could modulate the amount uh, based on the capacity, but you'd still keep that constant temperature of 55 degrees. So you would keep, you know, cooling the coil and condensing on that coil and keeping the humidity level within a certain range. But with a DX coil, um, it's it's not that easy. Uh, some of the newer ones, and this is actually what's being used in the DOAS units um, to control the humidity, um, they have some ways around it. But the old DX was either on or off. Um, or or different stages or different parts of the coil would be on or off. So it really didn't work that well. So I guess at what point does a DOAS make sense? Now, I've heard it said that, you know, when your sensible load is about 70% or more of your total load, that's when you want to use um, a DOAS system. Now, a DOAS system, basically, it does a better job um, and it saves more energy than on latent sensible cooling than your more traditional units. Um, a lot of this has to do with energy recovery, um, but um, that doesn't necessarily have to you know always be the case. The one thing you're not going to save, you're not really going to save the fan energy. Um, this outside air, the amount of air that you move, um, that's kind of a wash. But it does handle the sensible and latent cooling better. Um, and the whole goal of this for the DOAS unit um, is to supply neutral and dry air to when where it is needed. So you're going to condition the air and you're going to send it off to the appropriate amounts based on the you know ASHRAE ventilation 62.1 and handle that appropriately. So a DOAS unit is typically not just used alone. It is tar typically part of a bigger system um, that are married together that act as a complete solution for a building. Uh, like I said before, this one handles the ventilation, and then you'd have a component of your system that handles the, um, the more of the uh, internal loads. It'll handle enclosure loads, um, and it'll handle the you know, people-sensible loads. Now, some of these systems that you can actually marry it to, um, things like active and passive chilled beams. Um, you might have single-zone air handling units with uh, hot water and can, uh, chilled water coils, some four-pipe fan coil units, so to speak. Um, you'd have uh, VRF systems or variable refrigerant flow systems, or you'd have ground source heat pumps. All these, you know, could uh, be married to the dedicated outside air system and provide a great solution. Now, I think the one thing that you're going to note is that they've gotten away from using ductwork. Um, these are not air, they're air type systems. They're more of a, you know, a chilled water, heating water, refrigerant based system. 
Um, and and why is that? Now, I was, I was watching uh, a couple of uh, YouTube videos, and it was interesting because um, this one particular one from Titus said that, you know, a one-inch pipe can supply as much heating and cooling capacity as an 18 by 18-inch duct. Now... Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing, especially when you're looking to, you know, the architects are always looking for ways to save space. Um, this is one of those ways that you can minimize the space that you need for a system just by delivering, you know, hydronic heating and cooling just through piping. Um, and it, also another fact, fun fact that they, they mentioned that water really can move the, the same amount of thermal energy as a fan, but using one-seventh the operating cost. So not only is it more spatially efficient, but is more uh, efficient operating cost-wise. So and, and typically, too, the uh, the ductwork um, that you use for a traditional system is is like way oversized. Typically, you're going to use it for cooling loads. It's going to be sized for cooling loads. Heating loads in general are going to be because you have that larger delta T to work with. You could get away with smaller ducts, but because there's only so much delta T you can work with on the cooling side, the duct work has to be a certain size. So. It really doesn't help. I mean, the ventilation is only a small part of that, so that's why you can shrink that ductwork um, super small compared to the regular size traditional um, air handling unit ductwork. A um, few of the last comments I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out here. Um, the dedicated outside air systems um, really like to control themselves. These, um, they're because they're re really smart and they're really trying to control the humidity and cooling, um, along with a energy recovery wheel at times, um, uh, they have a lot of components. And so they like to kind of take care of themselves. They'll have a lot of intelligence integral to the units. So a lot of times you're going to, you're going to rely on just monitoring, uh, this monitoring the points, uh, you're going to be able to change the schedule, and you might be able to change the set points that you actually deliver this neutral dry air to. But you really can't do a lot more with them. Um, they're kind of they're kind of packaged, and they'll do what they want to do when they want to do it, uh, because they have their own internal logic and algorithms that are already preset at the factory. So commissioning wise, they're not they're not so easy to commission. They're kind of well. They're kind of simple. You'd like to do more with them, but you really can't, um, is what I'm trying to say. Another thing that the DOAS units, they have uh, heat wheels. So that makes the unit, depending on the configuration and the amount of outside air that you're trying to condition, that might make the unit taller. So you have to consider maintenance in this, you know, can, you know, because you have typically um, on either side of a energy recovery wheel, you're going to have uh, you're going to have filters. So you're going to need to be able to change those filters. And so does, does the maintenance staff need a ladder to be able to get and reach the filters on the top deck of some of these DOAS units? Some of them are small, some of them are single level. So they're real easy. But you gotta, you got to be careful about when you select your unit, how tall it is, what kind of maintenance uh, is going to be required for that unit. So keep that in mind. Now, talking about energy wheels, some of the energy recovery options for the DOAS uh, include things like uh, total energy wheels. So that's going to be, when they say total energy, that's going to involve 
a exchange of energy that is both sensible and latent. So you get to, uh, with some of the outside air, when it's humid outside, you'll be able to get knock down the humidity so you don't have to treat all that humidity with your cooling coil. Uh, and during the winter months, you get to add humidity to, this, uh, add humidity to the incoming air so you don't lose it all. Uh, you have dual wheel systems. Uh, you also have fixed plate heat exchangers. And then there are heat pipes. Now, again, some of those are sensible only and some like the total energy wheel that covers both sensible and latent heat um is interesting because i i know that i when i thought of this topic i had to uh, hearken back to the um k through 12 net zero energy um advanced energy design guide that we touched upon uh, a couple podcasts ago and i went and reviewed that a little bit um and a couple of couple of tidbits that that, that poked out it was interesting to note that for the net zero K through 12 schools, that all the HVAC systems, they gave you, you know, three different options for the HVAC systems, but they were all coupled with DOAS units. So if you're thinking to yourself, okay, when do I use a DOAS unit in my design? Um, if you're thinking about high energy efficiency, you really want to decouple this ventilation load from the rest of the building. Uh, you know, I mean, and it totally makes sense, especially when you're dealing with occupant loads that are not consistent. They're not all the time. When you don't need the when you don't need that ventilation, you can just shut it off, and you can save a whole bunch of money. And you're just can you know just uh, uh, conditioning the space regular. Um, another thing that it said is I, that especially with net zero, uh, that it's very tempting to deliver outside air at 55 degrees. Now, why would you deliver outside air at 55 degrees to the spaces? Well, that's because you can dehumidify it more. Uh, you can provide that nice dry air. But the key is that you want to provide neutral air. You don't want to have to do too much to it. You want to be able to provide neutral air because if you do deliver 55 degree air to a space, and it recommended actually delivering it to the space itself and not necessarily the mechanical system, but delivering it to the space itself uh, in a neutral uh, temperature, it prevented overcooling uh, because you're going to be able to uh, you know, provide that neutral air. It's not going to overcool the space. It's not going to overheat the space. It's, it's neutral. So that resists the urge, especially when you're trying to save energy and you don't have to reheat it, heat, you know, reheat the air. Um, just let some of the, um, you know, because the existing HVAC system, the one that you've decoupled it with, whether it be the VRF or the fan coil or the ground source heat pump, allow that to do a little of the dehumidification for you. So don't try to do it all with the dedicated outside air unit. Supply nice neutral air. And so that was one of the tips that they had for the DOAS units in that design guideline. All right. Well, that's it for DOAS units. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you know anybody who's looking for more information about this topic, consider passing this episode along. I'd appreciate it. If you're not a subscriber, consider joining the growing community of people just like you at HVAC360.com for more weekly goodness. And I'd be greatly honored, as always, if you'd consider leaving me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll certainly give you a shout-out when I see your name. All right, well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build, 
and share what you know. 